knew who this man was receiving the Medal of Honor, the highest military honor that the military can give from President Gerald Ford. It was Vice Admiral James B. Stockdale, and he was one of the first pilots, Navy pilots, shot down in Vietnam. He was imprisoned by the Viet Cong as a POW in the infamous Hanoi Hilton. He was frequently tortured to break his will. Uh, He was often chained with his arms uh, above his head for days at a time, uh, even unable to swat a mosquito. They broke his leg and never reset it, so that for the rest of his life he could never bend his left knee, and he walked with a severe limp. One of the most difficult things in his imprisonment was he was kept often in solitary confinement, only able to see his guards and his interrogators. How long did it last? Seven long years. Seven long years. How did he survive when others did not? Well, he said that it was his hope that kept him alive. The hope of one day going home and being reunited with his family. Isn't that an amazing image? There he is, emaciated, weak, dark circles under his eyes, but a smile on his face as he's reunited with his family. Look at his grandsons grabbing their grandfather and crying into his arms over joy that he has come home. That's what he said kept him going. Each day could be the day of his release, and he knew that without hope, he would have died in hopelessness. Now, when I read that story, I thought, what a beautiful analogy to the Christian life. For life at times for us seems like uh, being a POW in a prison camp. We are imprisoned in bodies that grow sick and wear out. We are often harmed by people who wrong us, misunderstand us, abuse us, or oppose us. Sometimes the problems of life seem like chains that drag us down. And quite honestly, it's really a struggle on on many, many days. And we ask the question, what keeps us from giving in to despair? What keeps us from dying in hopelessness like others all around us? You know what the answer is? There can be only one answer. We know we're going home, don't we? We know that we are going home. When life seems hard and unfair, we know someday we are going home. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom what? Come. Come. What's it going to be like when the kingdom of God finally comes? 
Well, that's what Mary understood and realized the very first Christmas. Mary was told that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. But as we learned last week, her circumstances remained unchanged. Do you remember that? She still had the same problems, the same hardships, the same troubles, and the woes that she had before. In fact, for Mary to become the mother of Jesus meant in some ways she had more difficulties. And yet in spite of that, she wrote one of the greatest praise psalms in the whole Bible. Would you turn with me again to Luke chapter 1? And I want you to notice her opening words of this wonderful praise psalm. In the chair Bible, it is page 1017. And you're welcome to turn there. But listen to what she said in this wonderful psalm that we know as the Magnificat. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And here's what Mary says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Uh, One translation says, Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior. Now, as we look at this psalm, there's one question that comes to our minds, and it is, why was Mary so happy? Now, last week we saw the reason she was so happy was she discovered the secret to Christian joy. But now today we're going to see, as we look at the rest of this psalm, that she discovered the secret to Christian hope. Let me say this this morning. The two greatest sources of happiness for any Christian are Christian joy and Christian hope. And if you have those, you can keep going with confidence in any situation. Let's take a moment, shall we, and let's just pray together and ask the Lord to give us the hope that Mary found. Father, we thank you that the Bible tells us that we are saved in hope. The scripture says, these three abide, faith, hope, and love. And the Bible reminds us that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Lord, uh, we are here today and things aren't perfect in our lives. We have many problems, troubles, and woes, just like Mary did. And you have not always promised that those will be resolved in this life, but what you have done is you've given us an amazing hope that Emmanuel means God with us. And if God is with us, God has a plan and a purpose that will not fail. And we can have great hope. So bless us today as we move into the hope that Mary had, that is our hope. Because as Jesus came into her womb, so as believers, Jesus is now in our life. For his sake we pray. Amen. I want you to look down with me at the second half of Mary's psalm. And notice what she says starting in verse 51. 
Speaking about God, she says, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her cousin Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Now, uh, the first thing we notice as we look at the second half of this great praise psalm of Mary is that she changes from the singular to the plural. The early verses are me and my, but now as you get to these verses that I've just read, she changes to their and to those. The interesting thing also is she changes from the present tense to the past tense. If you were following very closely in the uh, English Standard Version, which I'm reading from, you will notice that she says about God, He has six different times. Now, do you know what's going on with that? Here Mary is talking about Jesus yet to be born, and she speaks about Him in the past tense. Uh, Let me share with you what's going on here. Uh, there was a, a, a very wonderful Greek scholar by the name of William Arndt. And I want you to listen to what he says about these past tenses. He has, he has, he has, six different times. It is true, he says, Mary speaks in the past tense. But her expressions follow the manner of the Old Testament prophets who often use the past tense in depicting future events thereby declaring that what is predicted is as sure as if it were already fulfilled. What an interesting insight. Mary is speaking prophetically. She's taking the role of an Isaiah, a Jeremiah, or a Daniel. She is so certain of what Jesus is yet going to do in the future that she uses past tenses to say it's as good as done. So I want you to notice what she does. She moves from the personal, what God has done for me through Jesus, to the global, what God is going to do for the world through Jesus. Now, I just want to stop here for a moment and give a little application. Sometimes as Christians, we are sort of accused of preaching pie in the sky, by and by. In other words, uh, we are often accused of saying this, wait till heaven for things to get better, but don't expect any help in the nasty now. But you know, actually the opposite is true. Because God is going to act so decisively in the future, we have hope now. Because God is going to make things right in the future... He's concerned about justice now. The very fact that Jesus has come shows God is active. 
He is not passive. He has a plan. We are heading for a better day. God sees, God hears, and God helps us. In fact, did you notice in verse 54, Mary says, He has helped His servant. Now here's what I want to do in this message today. I want to do two things. Number one, I want to see three longings finally fulfilled by Jesus that bring hope. And then after we've seen these, I want to make a number of applications to our lives personally as the people of God living in a very, very difficult world. All right? So let's look at the first one. Here's Mary's first prediction. Are you ready for it? Politics will be straightened out. Doesn't that just sound good? Wouldn't you love to be here when world politics are made right? Wouldn't you love to be there when the politics in our own country are made right? Right? By the way, that reminds me of three men who argued over which of their professions was the oldest. A surgeon, an engineer, and a politician. And the surgeon said, well, the Bible says that Eve was carved from a rib from Adam, and that is certainly the work of a surgeon, so I guess my profession is the oldest. The engineer says, well, wait a minute. The Bible says in six days, God created the world out of chaos. That certainly is the work of an engineer. Politician said, I got you both beat. Who do you think created the chaos? Now we laugh at that. But around the world, political rulers have literally created chaos. Listen to what one Bible student says about the people in Mary's day, and this would have included Mary herself. Listen. The common people of Mary's day were almost helpless when it came to justice and civil rights. They were often hungry, downtrodden, and discouraged, and there was no way to fight the system. Do you know generally the ruling class has kept its thumb on the lower class, abusing them and using the powerless? Let me put uh, two famous men like that on the screen this morning, one of whom just finally died. There they are. Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of the Soviet Union in its communism in the 1960s, and his smiling friend Fidel Castro, the dictator of Cuban communism. Do you know, these two men nearly brought the world to the brink of nuclear war in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Do you know what Senator Marco Rubio, whose family escaped Cuba, said on the death of Castro? This is what he said about him. 
He said he was an evil, murderous dictator who made Cuba an impoverished island prison. And that story can be repeated over and over and over again in world history. But I want you to think about it for just a moment here in our own country. Think about our own country. There are 12 people shot every day, mostly amongst the poor, in the world-class city of Chicago. In our country, unelected judges have overturned laws defining the very family that is the very safeguard of morality in America. Do you know that the United States has the highest legal abortion rate in the Western world with over 3,000 infants aborted every single day? In fact, in our country, the most unsafe place to live is in the mother's womb, and it's all legal. And in the United States, we host 60% of the world's pornographic websites that fuel the world's sex trafficking industry against women and children. And all of this is in a free land where we elect our officials and choose our own laws. And what Mary sees here in her psalm is the day when her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will once and for all end that kind of oppression. Look again with me at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In the Bible, the enemies of God are often described as the proud. They exalt themselves in self-confidence against God and oppose his will. Among that group of the proud, Mary describes as the mighty whom God will bring down from their thrones in verse 52. Those are the political rulers whose kingdoms will one day be overthrown by the Messiah. And notice what Mary says in verse 52. In their place, God will exalt those of humble estate, believers through all the ages who have been oppressed, though they trust in God. You know what Mary is talking about? She's talking about what Jesus said in Matthew 5.10 when he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they shall inherit the kingdom. Mary is looking forward to the great day when Jesus comes in his second advent and he destroys all nations, establishing his own kingdom. I love how Daniel the prophet puts it in Daniel 2.44. He says God will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will never be given to another people. And He will break in pieces the kingdoms of this world and He will bring them to an end and His kingdom will stand forever. 
Revelation 11.15 refers to that very same thing when it says, The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will rule forever and ever. And that day when it comes will end all political oppression of God's people by the rulers of this world. Are you not looking forward to that day? What a great day that's going to be. Second, Mary predicts poverty will be stamped out. Poverty will be stamped out. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, the word hungry means just exactly what it says. Believers who are needy and disadvantaged, like Mary was herself. And the rich here in verse 53, those are the powerful in society who take advantage of the underclass, keeping them in poverty. By the way, would you connect these two? Political oppression always results in poverty as the powerful ignore and abuse the poor. You go back to the early days of Soviet communism when Stalin ruled with an iron fist. He stole the farms of the Ukrainians and he used starvation to break their resistance. It's always the way that it has worked. Political oppression always leads to the poverty as the underclass is oppressed by the ruling class. I've got a question that I want to ask you. And at first we might say, well, this can't be, but I want to ask you this question. Think with me about this. True or false? There are less slaves in the world today than during the Civil War. Now remember, the Civil War was that bloodiest of our battles that we, that we fought to end slavery in this country at the same time that slavery was being ended in Great Britain, and we lost more casualties in that war than in all the wars we have been involved in combined. So in light of that, what is the answer to this question? There are less slaves in the world today than during the Civil War. What's the answer? That is false. Doesn't that just amaze you? Look at this. And let your heart break for the people who suffer because they live in poverty and are abused. In 1860, the year the Civil War began, there were 25 million slaves worldwide. Today, there are 27 million worldwide. The average price of a slave then was $134. Today, slaves are bought and sold in the world for 140 
And then 78% of all slaves were legal. Today, how many are legal? Zero percent. Now here's what Mary sees. Mary sees the day in which Jesus will turn all of this upside down in his kingdom. She sees the day in which humble believers will be completely satisfied and the non-believing oppressors will be turned away empty. This is what Jesus said in Luke 6.21 in which he said, Blessed are you that are hungry now, for you shall be filled. Woe to you that are rich, Jesus said, for you are receiving your consolation. Woe to you that are rich, for you shall be hungry. Jesus later said in Luke 6, verses 24 and 25, He said about believers, Come, you who are beloved of my Father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For Jesus said, I was hungry. And you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you took me in. He said, I was imprisoned and you visited me. For when you have done this to the least of these my brothers, you have done this for me. And remember what Jesus said? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is the answer to the longings of the disadvantaged throughout all the ages to those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. One day He will say, Come, you are blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom that I have prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What an amazing hope we have. Now here's Mary's third prediction. Thirdly, Mary tells us that God's promises will be carried out. God's promises will be carried out. Look at verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Now I want you to notice this amazing conclusion to this psalm. All this will happen, says Mary, because God will fulfill the promises that He made to Abraham and his descendants. When she says here, he will remember his mercy, she is talking about the mercy in which the Lord made an eternal covenant with the nation of Israel in which he promised they would be a great nation and God would use them to bless the entire world. And through them, he would channel the blessing of God to the world and believers of all ages would participate. This is the foundation of Israel's hope. And now you know what Mary is amazed of? She is amazed that it's finally going to be fulfilled. 
in her son. I have no doubt that she was blown away that what God promised in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, He was now beginning to fulfill in the son she would bear. Let's read this famous promise that we are still awaiting someday God to fulfill. This is our hope. Let's read it together, shall we? Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Would you join me? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And all God's people said, There it all is, isn't it? Politics straightened out. Poverty stamped out. Promises carried out. It's all what Mary prophesied. You know, at this time of the year, we sing these wonderful words from one of our Christmas carols. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And if we really believe that, and we are convinced it is someday going to happen, and we believe that Emmanuel means God with us right now, then we have an incredible hope. No matter how weary you might be today, how discouraged you might be, how much wondering you will think about have these problems that I'm dealing with, when will they end? You have a great hope. And let me give this morning just some applications to us from this hope. Number one, when we think that God has forgotten Realize he has not. Mary said about the Lord, he remembers his mercy. He remembers his mercy. God never forgets. He never forgets. And when the Bible says he never forgets, what it means is he is going to act because he never forgets his promises. And though you may feel forgotten, if you know Christ, you are not. Secondly, God's timetable is best, even though it seems long. You know what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus? In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. 
What that means is when the time was perfectly right, when Rome had established the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and all of the known world at that time was largely under the peaceful rule of the Romans, God then sent His Son because the time was right for worldwide proclamation of the gospel. And that's the way it always is. God's timetable for you and for me is best, even though it seems long. Number three, believers have always had to wait for the promises. I wondered as I thought about this, how many times does the word wait appear in the Bible? You ready? From Genesis to Revelation, the word wait appears 135 times. It is a major theme in the Bible. Wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. And God always calls on us to wait that our faith might grow strong and that we might learn to trust Him in the time while we are waiting for Him to act. Don't ever forget. Believers have always had to wait for the promises. Notice the next one. God is always working, even when we can't see it. Do you know how many people knew that God was working in placing the babe, Jesus, in the womb of Mary? Very few. Very few. Just a small number knew it. And yet God was working, even though only a few knew. Let me just say to us this morning, God is working in your life right now, even though you may not be able to see it. I know a pastor who said, most of the time God hides from us all the good that we are doing. And He often does that to keep us from pride and trusting in ourselves. But God is always working, even when we cannot see it. Notice the next one. God's delays are for a greater purpose. Believe that. Believe that. The Bible teaches us in Romans 11.25 that God has set aside His nation Israel. And he is currently working with the Gentiles in the church age. And here's what Romans 11.25 says, When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then God will return and fulfill his plan for the Jews. So look at this. God is delaying the ultimate day because he wants as many Gentiles like you and me to come into his kingdom through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is God delaying? Because he has a greater purpose in gathering people like you and I into his family. Believe that. Believe that. Notice the next one. If God has prepared the future, he will care for us now. A God who has such a glorious and wonderful future coming for us one day is a God who certainly can take care of us in the present. 
and knowing His plan encourages us to trust Him now. And finally, one more. This is a wonderful statement that God made to Jacob when he was at a time of uncertainty in his life and he was leaving all that he had known for an uncertain future. And the Bible says God came to Jacob and said this, I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And when I read that promise for Jacob, I thought, this wasn't just for Jacob. This is for every Christian. God says to you today, no matter what you are going through, I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. By the way, did God do all that He promised Jacob? Did He? Of course He did. And He will do the same for you. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Let's thank the Lord for that hope. Would you bow with me together? Just before we sing together a Christmas carol, that expresses the hope we have in Christ. I wonder if everyone here this morning knows the hope that Mary was speaking about. Has Jesus come into your life to be your Lord and Savior? Are you looking forward to the great kingdom that He will establish because as we sang to begin our service, Christ the Babe is Lord of all. And if not, you can turn to Him right now. Just as it was absolutely certain that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary had become pregnant with the Son of God, So it is absolutely certain that if you will turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, the same Holy Spirit will create new life in your heart and make you a child of God. And while we are quiet before the Lord and His Spirit is present amongst us, you can say something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've failed you in many ways. But I believe your word. And I believe your promises. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he came for me. And you can say right now, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way. And I'm turning to you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Be my Savior. 
Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give to me the gift of eternal life. And make me this day a child of God. And Lord Jesus, you may say, knowing that I will never be able to follow you perfectly, yet because of what you have done for me, I will live for you with all of my heart. You may say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And then as a pastor, I know for many, the holidays are a difficult time. The holidays are a a time of of hurt and, and discouragement. And a reminder that we live in a very imperfect world. And we often suffer because of what others have done. And if that's you here today, and you have entered into the hope that Mary had, that is your hope as well. And I pray that Mary's Magnificat will become for you a rock. Not something that she wrote about in the distant past, but something that has personal relevance to you as you walk with the same Savior trust in His plan and His leading and wait for the day in which He gloriously appears may your heart be encouraged and your spirit buoyed up today may you recognize that God remembers you He knows you. He wants to use you in the lives of a hurting world. And you have a purpose that He is fulfilling in your life. God, for all of us, may this be a season when our hopes are encouraged. For Jesus' sake we pray. And all God's people said together.